This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Confounding, exhilarating, and contagious. Emotions matter, and so does applying emotional intelligence. Welcome to Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, the podcast where emotions rule. Whatever the topic, how do hearts and minds collide? Find out with your host, a college professor turned globetrotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 81st episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is thriving as a sensitive entrepreneur. I'm joined by Christine Kane. She is the author of The Soul Sourced Entrepreneur, an unconventional success plan for the highly creative, secretly sensitive, and wildly ambitious. The publisher is Benbella Books. Christine is the founder of Uplevel U, a multi-million dollar business coaching company, which evolved from her 15-year career as a touring singer-songwriter with her own record label. Both businesses, by the way, were built without any investors. Welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And it will be my pleasure to have you as my guest. Thank you so much. So give us a brief overview of the book, if you don't mind. A brief overview of the book. Well, I, as a coach, work with a lot of people who start businesses based in their passion or their creativity. And one of the things I recognized as I coached, as I worked with people, was that there are two tracks in any business. And one I call the strategy track, and that's all the usual stuff of having a business. And the other I call the soul track. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I know what a soul means. It really refers to the soft stuff of having a business, meaning the mindset, the stuff that triggers you, all the old patterns that come up and all the things that really can deflate your confidence. And so this book could be kind of called the inner game of running a business. And I didn't want to do the usual mindset, you know, standard prescriptions that everyone delivers. I wanted to really go into some of the deeper 
challenges that come up for people and when they can really face that and use that as the fodder for their business success. I call it a soul-sourced business because your business is always speaking to you and the business your business is the playground of your own expansion. And when you look at it that way, it can create an entirely different outcome and higher levels of success than you ever dreamed of simply because you're framing it from a different perspective. Okay. Well, I, for one, must say I welcome this. Uh, as I confessed to you privately, there are way too many instances of what I would call kind of machismo entrepreneurship, uh, kind of akin to Rambo and uh, testosterone rock and roll music, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, for one, don't relate. Now, you've said that a lot of people have approached you really glad about the fact that you are taking the soul track and giving it a lot of priority. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about what those fans have said to you? Well, it's funny because when I pitched uh, the book, when when my agent and I went around New York and, and we were doing pitches, a lot of people were real resistant to the sole idea in business. They were resistant to even having the word secretly sensitive in the subtitle. And a lot of people just didn't think that an audience existed for the book and that, you know, that person even had a business. And what I've discovered over, you know, 11 years now of coaching people in businesses is that they are wrong. The publishers are wrong. These people do exist and they're so grateful for it. But um, the, and I've completely lost track of your question because I just want to, <laughs> sorry, I have to be honest in these moments. Like if I try to just like, you know, bludgeon my way through, I will never, I will never be in integrity. So your question was about being sensitive. Yeah. So, yeah. So what I've heard is- And and those fans that did come to you over these 11 years and how you know you you have those. Yes. Well, I had a client say to me, because I I haven't really put this publicly out there. I've done the usual, like, here's some strategy tips and here's stuff about writing content and that kind of thing. And then one year, one of my clients, I, I just taught a big session in front of my top tier clients, people who have companies, people who are not just trying to get started. And one woman came up to me. She'd been working with me for about five years at that point, And she said, Christine, you need to bring this out into the public. Everyone needs this. And I just, it was a brave thing because it's not a strategic book. It wasn't a book called Up Level, you know, that leads people strategically into the funnels of my, <laughs> of my company. It's, it's a book that was what I really thought needed to be taught to people so they could understand how they could be exactly who they are and have a business. Well, I absolutely love the premise, and I love the fact that you have the daring to put soul out there. I mean, I started my company 20-some years ago. I read an article in a Cornell University publication talking about the breakthroughs in brain science and how much we were emotional decision makers. And I basically said, no shit, of course we are. (laughs) But the business world is not waking up to that. They think we're these rational decision makers. And I said, essentially, I don't know if there's a business here, but it's simply so interesting and so true that I'm going to pursue it and hopefully I can widen the business lexicon beyond the strategy stuff and, you know, all the hard numbers and say the soft stuff actually matters a lot. So whether it's the heart, whether it's the soul, uh, it's not just the mind and it's not just the wallet. I mean, we need to broaden the universe. So I I think it's great. So speaking of soft being hard, because that's one of your rules actually (laughs) uh, that you offer. And I know Tom Peters. And uh, I was delighted to see that he actually says that the other 95% of business is the human part. So it seems to me your book's talking a lot about the the human part. So it's numbers, but it's more than numbers. Yeah. Uh, 
tell us about the human part from your point of view. Okay. So Tom Peters, I, I think I, I love that man. And I love that he, he does exactly what I describe in the book. Um, there's a, I call, I say that every business has two tracks and one business, one, one track is the strategy track and the other track is the soul track. And I don't claim to know what anyone means by soul. It's just what I call the soft stuff. And one of my, I have a new ops manual in the intro of the book. And one of the little tenets is quoting Tom Peters and it says soft is the new hard. And what Tom Peters says is soft is hard, meaning all of the human elements are what bring the hard results. And so what I've seen is that when we talk about strategy, everyone wants to focus business on strategy, 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 and how to do a tactic and how to place a Facebook ad and how to write great copy. And that's fine. But running alongside it, where I've seen most people get in trouble in their business and where most people get stuck is in this thing that I call the soul track. And Tom Peters says the same basic thing when he's dealing with companies. I'm dealing typically with entrepreneurs who run a company or run a solo business, and it's their mindset. It's their old patterns. It's their old little fixations. It's old little traumas and ways they run their business where they get in their own way. And when they can start seeing that very clearly, it's where the results start happening. And we start seeing major increases, but it's not because they had the right tactic. It's because they saw themselves and they saw where they were getting in their own way and they were able to break through and stretch the limits. Well, I I think passion sells and conviction sells. And I I don't know how you can get to conviction without in some ways, hopefully tying into uh, the soul track here. You you have a comment in the book. There's several of them that I'm going to come to sooner or later, but one I'll I'll start with here. Uh, You said, friends want your safety more than your expansion. (laughs) I'd be, I'm not disagreeing with you for a second. I I can probably add a couple of stories there, but I wanted to give you a moment to uh, elucidate what you meant there. Well, the... The, I, when I wrote that, what I talked about was, um, I, I believe I was referring to how coaching and mentorship can really help you see past some of the old ways you've sort of settled and tolerated a lot sure. of things in your life. And so our, our models of friendship uh, are typically, okay, do you hate the same people I hate? Do you get to, like, do I believe your sob story and you believe my sob story? Do I not celebrate, you know, like we don't want to get too big for our bridges. And so we kind of reach a settling point in our friendships. And as entrepreneurs, we we need people around us who really push us. They push us to celebrate things because a lot of us don't do enough of that. Or they hold the space for us to take a chance because our friends are like, yeah, I don't know if you should really do that. I don't know if you can be, you know, a coach or, uh, you know, have a business. I've never seen you do this before. And so what I'm saying is that a lot of times the translations of all the people around us are not really supporting our discomfort and they're not supporting our risk, which is a lot of what we have to do as entrepreneurs, is we have to be able to step into uncertainty. We have to be able to stretch past the comfort zones. And so that's what that statement is all about. Okay. Well, I love it. I had a friend who definitely pushed me further. I spent about six months putting together a methodology to try to get to emotions. And he blew it up basically in one sentence. He said, remind me again why you had this passion for starting the company. And I dutifully told him like I was a man walking the plank. And I got done. And I said, so what's the problem, Joe? You're killing me. You just got to tell me what the problem is. He said, the problem is everything you've told me so far and how you're going to approach this is based on the idea that people think their feelings. 
but they actually feel their feelings. Mm. And I said, well, you're right, Chet. <laughs> I don't have a solution for you tonight, but I'm going to go for a really long walk and uh, maybe one will come to me. And, and it eventually did, but it was about pushing me further. I would never have had a business had I just settled for how people think their feelings. That would have just been the old traditional approaches, quite honestly. And it's so interesting that one person's statement like that, like one person who has a different frame and calls you out can change your life. Yeah, it's it saved the business. It changed my life. It pushed me farther. Uh, you know, it felt painful at the moment, uh, but it was everything. Yeah. I mean, it was such a tremendous gift. Um, it really I had, was. I had that happen when I wanted to be a musician. I was right out of college. I was living in Charlottesville, Virginia. I would go to Miller's Bar, which is where the Dave Matthews Band was getting started. They weren't known as the Dave Matthews Band. And a dear friend of mine who was a jazz musician named Sal Segoyan, he went off to work for Apple. But he and I were walking one night in the street, and I just I told him my dream of being a musician. And he, he was the first person who ever said to me, Oh, honey, you could totally do that. Like it was just, this <laughs> he didn't even say, wow, do you know what the chances are? Which is what everyone in my world of the suburbs, suburbs of Washington, D.C. always ever said to me. First time someone actually held the space that I could do something. And it was like a game changer. My whole body just went like, really? <laughs> you think I could do that? And you get someone like that, like whether it's a coach or a mentor or a friend, it's like they kick the door open. I love that. Yeah, no, it's great because I had, in contrast, my parents begging me to go back to corporate life. And I was like, no, 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 yeah, I do not want to do that. <laughs> and, and I had uh, someone I was dating a little bit who, before I moved to San Diego to start the company, brought to our last tennis match uh, a long list of all the statistics of the likely failure rate. And I was oh, like, God. thanks, Liz. That, that's really wonderful. I'm thinking, no wonder I don't want to date you. <laughs> exactly. It's sort of like you got that Han Solo moment of never tell me the odds. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it's like, you know, just too punitive. I, I, I admire the truth, but give me some hope as well. Yeah. So, so you said it, this is another comment from the book, is that as entrepreneurs, our success is directly correlated to our ability to be uncomfortable. So I think we're kind of headed there in the conversation, but is there anything that you want to add that you didn't have a moment for just, just a bit ago? Well, I think we come from a culture that's like exactly like your friend, um, the woman who brought you all the reasons we we seek safety we want like we we aren't really wired up to stretch and to understand that there is no such thing as certainty when it comes right down to it i mean i know you mentioned conviction not everyone has the same level of conviction not everyone knows and yet we are in this trance because we can look back on the life of a steve jobs we can look back on the life of Elon Musk, we can look backward and act as if, oh, they, they had the conviction. And most of us, we didn't have the conviction. We walked through terrified. We, you know, the first time you step on a stage, the first time you, you know, put your book out there, whatever it might be, the first time you say, I'm going to take a, I'm going to get clients now. It's terrifying. And not a single person is ever certain. And everyone's level of conviction varies. And so I would say you have to get to where uncomfortable is your norm. Like uncertainty is okay. It's not the, the death of you and you will fall on your ass sometimes, but the, the trajectory is all about how often you're going to pick yourself up and learn from it. 
Sure. Well, I would say my conviction, just to clarify, was that I knew emotions mattered and I knew that business was wrong for ignoring them. Yes. <laughs> uh, my certainty that I was going to make a living from this uh, was by no means there. I remember telling my staff at one point, just think of us as having landed at Normandy and we're being shot at from the cliffs above. That's great. Uh, we, we don't get to go to Paris. <laughs> we're going to stay on the beach. This is This is the reality. We have the ocean right behind us and you just have to push forward. And uh, this is what we shall do. I, I have to think that your background as a musician, the fact that, you know, I'm a poet by background, uh, you know, I never wrote a great poem by, by knowing coming out of it what I knew coming in. I, I discovered something along the way. I have to imagine that your songwriting informs greatly how you've approached your, your career as an entrepreneur. Yes. Absolutely. So I wrote the same way you just described. I I wrote from kind of the inside out. There's different types of writers. Um, when I did when I worked with a book coach, she said some people are outliners and some people are inliners. And she said you are an inliner. And having that permission <laughs> was a huge thing because some of us find the outline from going deep into the song or the poem or the book. And that's kind of how I've done business as well. I, I'm never, I've never been one with a three-year plan or a five-year plan or a 10-year strategy. I've always been somebody who we, we, you know, we make a plan as a guess and then we move through and see what happens and let the feedback teach us and let my own feelings show us. And so, yeah, I've done, I, I think without knowing it, the way I've made a business happen has been informed from having been an artist and having written songs, but I also had a business as a songwriter, so it was happening even then. Sure. And another thing, I, I have to think that the, and you're very honest about this, and I admire the the uh, you know willingness to be vulnerable and share this. Uh, you mentioned in the book that there was a 10-year struggle with bulimia. Yeah. And 10 years is not a short period of time. Uh, I, I dated someone only in retrospect that I kind of, I read an article on bulimia after the relationship was over and said, I think she was, Kathy was bulimic because it just, all the pieces came together, but I did not know that. And I was not told that during the relationship. Well, many, many bright women. I mean, I have, I have so many clients. I have, and the prime, the bulk of my clients are women and most of them, I would say most of them have admitted to me that at one point in their lives, they were bulimic or had a, some kind of eating disorder or had some kind of abuse in their lives. A lot of times I think the sensitive among us are very smart and very tuned in and they just don't know how to navigate it in their high school teen years, which is where where I was when I was struggling with that. But yes, in the book I refer to that and I open an entire section with saying that bulimia was my first business mentor, mostly because of what I had to do when I was healing it. And can you can you say more? I, I think this is really important ground that is, I mean, I, I have interviewed a lot of authors. No one's ever gone here before. Well, one of the things that when you are, like when you're, I, I've had a lot of people in my life who have had addictions. And when I was first healing bulimia, I moved to Asheville, North Carolina, where I still live now. And um, I had friends who were healing alcoholism and, and that sort of thing. And I used to have this thing where I would say, well, you're lucky because you can give up alcohol or you can give up. I had, I had a lot of musician friends, obviously. So there was drugs and, and that sort of thing. And, and I would envy them. But with food, when you're healing from a food addiction, you don't give up food. You can't just say, I'm swearing off the stuff and I'm done. And, <laughs> true, true, true enough. And granted, my logic was a little messed up, but um, <laughs> I still had, like, what I realized though, was the fact that I had to develop a new relationship with my body and with food 
was really the key teacher that I needed, that I personally needed in order to move forward in my life, because I used to have this sort of thing of like segmenting my life. And, you know, that goes over here and that goes over there. And, and, and what I realized is that in that process is that, no, it's, it's all there for the teaching. And I had to develop a new relationship and what it taught me without, I didn't know this at the time. I can look back, like I said, looking back is a great perspective bringer. Um, I could look back and say the fact that I had to develop a relationship with this made me realize that everything is about developing a relationship with it. I see people who avoid money in their business, or they avoid sitting down to actually write, or they avoid stillness and silence, and they avoid their own wisdom. And my job as a coach is to say, no, you're in relationship with your business. You're in relationship with money. You're in relationship with that client. The more you can lean in and be present to all of that is going to be directly correlated with your success. And that's where I've seen the success really come in for me. And what my clients have told me time and time again has changed everything for them because a lot of them avoid all the stuff that feels hard. Yeah, no, I, I think that's so profoundly true. I mean, it's just, you know, human nature is that we want to feel good about ourselves and we want to attract allies. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's a huge driver for us. So anything that detracts from those two or feels threatens, it's almost the natural instinct to turn away and not take the look. And yes, you can have someone like my, my, my friend Joe, who, you know, was instrumental, but you, you have to, sometimes you just have to get there entirely on your own. Well, even with Joe, you had to go off and walk on your own and think on your own. He couldn't go do the work with you. Like my my friend Sal, you know, yeah, you can do this. He didn't go do it with me. He went, you know, then I was on my own to say, could I really do this? Like the door gets kicked open, but you're going to walk that path on your own. And entrepreneurship is a a lonely path at times. Yeah, no, I, I, another occasion, uh, I haven't usually told people this. Um, I called Joe and I said, I'm thinking about calling the company Strategic Aesthetics. And he said, Oh, that's a fabulous name with sarcasm. And then he said, <laughs> It's a fabulous name if you want to go broke, Dan. Um, and about a week later, in, in like three in the morning, I woke up and said, It's sensory logic. And I called him and he said, Yep, it's sensory logic. But no, no praise, no congratulations. He just said, Now here's your next issue you have to solve. And, uh, you know, and, and I kept that's- moving. Oh, that's great. I need to sit down and have a coffee with Joe. <laughs> we all do. So speaking of these moments, you said sometimes, you know, you just have to, you got to keep moving, you got to make things happen. But sometimes the movement is very, I guess I'll go back to your thing about outliners and inliners, because you mentioned going fetal. And what does <laughs> going fetal mean for you and its significance? Okay, so there the the book. Let me just sort of say so people understand. The book is divided into four parts, and it's all based on an acronym. And the acronym is "I'm in," which is a mantra we say here at Up Level with our clients. And "I'm in" is that idea of leaning in. So the first the the acronym starts with initiating intention goes into managing your power. The next I is interpreting circumstances. And then the N is navigating decisions. And so going fetal is part of a little bit of managing your power, meaning managing your power means what are you doing with yourself and your emotions and all the responses and reactions and triggers you deal with in a day. And in that machismo business model, in that data-centered left brain business model, we're not given the chance to really experience some of the hard hits we take as entrepreneurs. And so ideally, what I what I teach people in one of the sections of the book is that you always want to 
find your way to neutral, meaning having a neutral take in how you translate things and interpret things going on in your business. But when you can't do that and you're just trying to machismo your way, it doesn't work when you have an energy that is saying, I hurt or this sucks or I'm pissed (laughs) or whatever it might be. And so going fetal, that's my way of putting you're down for the count. You give yourself the space to experience the energy, the emotion, whatever it is, and you consciously do it. I don't mean you like do like what Tony Schwartz calls the gray zone, where you kind of half-ass it. You really give yourself the space to experience whatever is coursing through your body, the hurt, because you a big you know proposal you put out there got rejected and someone else got it. Whatever it might be, you give yourself that space. I don't care what kind of a hard ass you are. And the I talk about what it means to go fetal. I describe it in there. I don't think you need me to go into that, but that's really what it means. And it's my semi-playful way of doing it because as a musician, I was 15 years as a musician, rejection was kind of a norm and I had to get good at it. And my very first coach who had been an actor in New York City used to say to me, you know, you got to start loving this thing. You got to start loving rejection. And he's like, as, a, <laughs> as an actor, I had to love auditions. I had to love rejection. It had to be part of the game. And my way of dealing with it was as a super sensitive person, I gave myself, I would say 15 minutes in bed, in fetal, feel this. And that's what helped me get back up as opposed to, you know, grow a pair or what all the things that a lot of people say. That's not going to serve somebody who, who has a little bit more sensitivity to them. So go fetal is my way of saying to my clients, give yourself the space. This hurt. You spent months on that proposal. Let yourself have that because otherwise you are going to walk around with scars that aren't going to help you be your most strategic, healthy self as an entrepreneur. Okay, fair enough. And I imagine this has some correlation to something else you mentioned that uh, people have to deal with, which you use the acronym of CRAP, and it's the cycle of reactivity and panic. So does going fetal come as a nice way out of that cycle, or is that kind of got its own, its own kind of <laughs> That's trajectory? That's its own thing. That is something that is a symptom of a business owner who's not doing a lot of what I'm describing here. Okay, Crap, fair enough. The cycle of reactivity and panic is just where you have your, you know, your your feast or famine, basically. It's like a ton of clients and I can do it all and I'm not going to hire anybody. And then you don't market, you don't market. And then all of a sudden all the clients are gone and then you're like, oh crap. And then you end up taking a million other clients. So it's reactivity, it's panic. And I just gave it an acronym of the cycle of reactivity and panic where somebody really hasn't gotten strong with their marketing and their sequencing and how they manage their power. Okay. So in all these people that you've, you know, you worked with as clients, can you give us maybe a few of the hurdles that you've seen or maybe a personal story that really stays with you where you got someone, you know, past where they had been? I I think people would, would enjoy hearing that. So are you in terms of the cycle of reactivity and panic or in just in general? In general, in general, just maybe one, one story from all your years that really stays with you that you'd like to share. I'm I'm going to pick one that popped right into my head because her first book is coming out in, in a month. Um, Her name is Sue Ludwig and she is the president and founder of the national association of neonatal therapists. She started with me. She was, I have a lot of clients who work with me for eight and nine and, and now 10 and 11 years. And Sue started with me when she had the idea 
for her business. And she was a neonatal therapist working at a NICU in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she came to me at one of my first retreats and she said, I, I had this idea. I, I think somebody should start an association for neonatal therapists. And I just said, what, why not you? And, <laughs> and she went, you know, we, we started, she started, she became my client and she was, it was that whole idea of, I need permission. I need uh, accreditation. I need something from the medical authorities on high. And she had none of that. And it was all about this strategy track and soul track. She, she worked on her marketing slowly. She built her list slowly. She had her first event, like, and now she is, she is a, going to be a published author. She has sponsorships from major pharmaceutical companies, from major uh, hospital companies. And she has a thousands and thousands of members they have. They just had their 10th annual conference. Like she is just, she's, I, I think she's reached the point where she's more successful than me, which is what my goal is with all of my clients. And um, the point being with something like that is getting over that part of you that says, but I'm just, I'm just a this, I'm just little old me. And it's not because she overcame it in one fell swoop. She overcame it by taking step by step by step. And really recognizing that her marketing and her voice, her message and her passion really, truly trumped everything that, that we think we need, which is all the permission and all the rules and accreditations and all those sorts of things. She did it based on that alone. And her book sure. is coming out. It's called Tiny Humans. Okay. And, and the VC money. I mean, I've really been appalled to discover from uh, other guests how much they tend to still favor male entrepreneurs. Oh, she didn't and, get any. She yeah. did not. She started with nothing. And then we started, like we together, we started working on like, what does corporate sponsorship look like for her events? And it it's only one part of her income stream. The rest is membership and all the courses they've created and how much, how much credibility they've created in her industry. She does not get VC stuff anymore. It's just, it's really just all about, um, all about the corporate sponsorships and, and her members and her passion, like I said. So it's pretty yeah. fascinating what she's done. No, no, that that's absolutely that's absolutely great. Yeah. So I want to thank you, Christine, so much for having been my guest. This is episode number 81, uh, Thriving as a Sensitive Entrepreneur. Uh, Christine Kane is the author of The Soul Source Entrepreneur, An Unconventional Success Plan for the Highly Creative, Secretly Sensitive, and Wildly Ambitious. If you enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. You can find other episodes by going to my company's website at the obligatory three W's and sensorylogic.com or go to the New Books Network, type in Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, and you'll find them there. Finally, I like to conclude every episode with an epigram. In this case, of all people, I took one from the Israeli general and leader Moshe Dayan because he said, freedom is the oxygen of the soul. Until next time, be kind and stay safe.